Good morning. Good morning. Beauty for Ashes is such an amazing place. Um, and it's a place that has a very special spot in my heart because of the organization that sponsors it, which is Teen Challenge. And to my brother, um, after struggling with addiction for many years, went through the Teen Challenge program twice um, and has actually been able to overcome his addictions through the Teen Challenge program. And so um, what the people at, and these women at Beauty for Ashes um, are, are receiving there um, is tremendous. And um, what, what they're actually seeking is peace, right? Uh, for many people that struggle with addiction, uh, they are struggling with it because they lack peace in their life and they're trying to quiet the voices and quiet their hearts. And they think that they can do that through substance abuse. Um, but what they find out is peace is elusive in that way. Uh, and so thank you guys so much. Thank you, River Club Church, for the work that you uh, do at Beauty for Ashes and how you continue to support that program because you're really doing something incredible. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Heather Ablondi. I'm the groups director here at River Club Church. Uh, I am just finishing up officially this week a six-month stint as your interim kids club director, uh, and I'm very happy to be passing that hat off uh, to Tiffany Johnson, and uh, she's doing a, a tremendous job, and so when you see her, just please welcome her to the team. Um, peace. We talked a little bit about that already, and uh, that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to share with you uh, what God has taught me uh, about peace in our lives over this past year. Uh, when you think of the word peace, uh, a lot of times we think the absence of war, right? War and peace, they're the, the two opposites. Um, but peace, really, if we want to look at the definition, is a sense of unbroken well-being or contentment. How many of us can say that we, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, throughout our lives, experience a sense of unbroken well-being or contentment. Uh, I can imagine that very few people would raise their hands uh, and say that they can honestly uh, say that they experience an unbroken sense of well-being. Uh, and I can certainly testify uh, to what a lack of peace can do uh, in, in your life uh, and to your um, sense of well-being. Uh, a year ago, uh, and really a year ago this week, uh, my life, my family's life, turned upside down. Uh, my husband, the week before Thanksgiving, was informed that his government contract was not going to renew at the end of the year. And as of December 31st, he would no longer have a job, meaning he would no longer have a way to support uh, his family, myself and our four children uh, at the time who were ages two through 10. I got that right. Yes, two <laughs> through 10. Uh, it's hard to keep track when you have the four of them. And uh, we went in to the holiday season, uh, peaceless, uncertain, uh, 
it was hard to be thankful on Thanksgiving because we didn't know where our future income was going to come from. And uh, throughout the holidays, we struggled. We struggled to trust God. We struggled to have that joy that you try to get at, at Christmas time, the wonder, because life was so uncertain. And, and just when we thought things were really, really bad and, and couldn't get any worse, uh, they did. Um, my husband and I, um, I like to say we were having a lively discussion. And uh, in the middle of that discussion, um, he passed out and he hit his head. And um, when I found him in the hallway, um, he was uh, convulsing on the floor. Um, and he was unconscious for probably about 60 seconds before coming to. And I was terrified. Uh, and then we called the paramedics and they came and took him to the hospital. And I can remember sitting uh, or standing in our, in our driveway, uh, watching the ambulance drive away and um, not knowing if I was going to see my husband alive again, not knowing what my future was going to hold. And in that moment, I started to wonder, am I going to be a widow taking care of four little girls? And um, thankfully, uh, uh, we were able to get him to the hospital and, and find out what was going on and, and to be able to treat him. And um, everything turned out to be okay. But that experience still contributed so much to our anxieties, and our fears during that season. And things, troubles, trials, tribulations, uh, however you call them, they tend to come in waves. And so just when we thought things were bad enough, uh, in the middle of January, you know, the beginning of the new year, you're hoping for um, a brand new start, new beginnings, and uh, you, you're anticipating a brighter future for the next year. Uh, well, that all changed when my phone started ringing in the middle of the night. And what seemed to be, at the beginning, random prank phone calls turned out to be something much more sinister when the voice on the other end of the line said my name and knew my name. And when they started saying very vile, disgusting things on the other end of the line. And so we turned the phones off and uh, huddled in, in bed together. And when I woke up in the morning and I turned the phone on, there were a series of text messages from this individual that included photographs that he had taken off the internet of my children and had edited them in very graphic ways and were sending them to me, accusingly saying, how dare you, woman of God, put your children out there for people like me to see. I have never experienced fear the way I experienced it that week. The phone calls, the text messages continued night and day. From numbers all over the country, this individual was smart and sophisticated, 
there was no way to track or trace him. I came to church, a place of, that's supposed to be a place of sanctuary and refuge, and I looked at every single person here as a suspect. I trusted no one because I had no idea how did this person have my cell phone number? How did they know me and how did they know my children? That continued until one evening I said I'd had enough. And I gathered together with a group of women, most of them from here at River Club, and we stormed the gates of heaven for this individual. Not against him, but for him. And we prayed that he would come to know Jesus. Because we had seen, I could see from the tracking on my website, that he had read the gospel message that I have on my page. And we prayed that God would grow the seed that had been planted. I never received one more phone call or one more text message after we said that prayer. And so I don't know to this day, and I probably won't know this side of heaven, what happened. Uh, and if he really did come to know Jesus, but, but what I do know is that there is power in prayer. And he caused it to stop. And so, again, we're, we're praying through, thankfully, uh, to the, from the generosity of friends and family. We were able to pay our mortgage. We were putting food on the table. Uh, we had to cancel many plans. Uh, one was a trip to Disney that we were planning last April. We are a big Disney geek family. <laughs> four, four daughters, so I have four princesses. And we love Disney. We're Disney Vacation Club members, which is like a timeshare for Disney people. And we, it's, it's our place that we love to go. And we were devastated to have to cancel that trip. And in the midst of all of that, I was sitting here one Sunday morning, and in the middle of worship, I looked at Steve, and I said, Honey, I just don't feel right. Something feels off. And he said, Well, let's go out in, in the uh, lobby and, and get some fresh air. So we went out, and um, Ryan French was out there, and he saw me, and he was like, you just don't look like you feel good. And I said, I don't. Something just feels bad. And so Steve and Ryan, they started praying over me, and in the middle of that prayer, I felt my face start to twitch uncontrollably. I could not control the spasms. My eyes were opening and closing. My cheeks were spasming, and... At that point, we said something's really wrong, and let's go to the ER. And we left the girls here in the kids' club, and uh, Steve, thankfully, he has a history as a race car driver, and so he was able to get me uh, over to Mary Washington ER, drop me off, and get back here before service ended so he could pick up the girls uh, at the end. And uh, they ran all of the tests and made sure I wasn't having a stroke, uh, and basically, the doctor came back and said, stress, that what I was experiencing was a stress response. And so a lack of peace in our lives can have tremendous effects, so much so that it can manifest itself physically. 
And so that's my story, and you, you probably have your own stories of a lack of peace. You know, we watch the news uh, nowadays, and there's mass shooting after mass shooting, and you question whether or not uh, it's even safe to go to church anymore. And you, you worry about your health. Maybe you received a, a diagnosis recently. And you're not sure what the future holds. Or uh, maybe there's a lack of peace in your relationships. You know, we just uh, all came together with our extended families. You know, it's what most of us do on Thanksgiving. And maybe you really weren't looking forward to that day because of the strife and the anger that can come out when you get together with some of the people that you're supposed to be closest to in your lives. And so you you lack peace in your relationships. Or maybe, like my husband, uh, you have financial difficulties, job uncertainties, and and you're not sure uh, where the, the next paycheck is going to come from. What I've learned over the past year is that all of that is temporary. I can remember throughout the six months that Steve was without a job that we would sit down every night and we would pray together. And at at the end of most of those prayers, we would chat a little bit and we would always say, a year from now, we're going to look back and this is all going to seem like a bad dream. A year from now, we're going to be in a better place. A year from now, things are going to be different. And guess what? (laughs) It's a year from now or from then And I can say things are so different. I couldn't see what was going to happen at the time, but but God worked, and Steve has a a wonderful job. Uh, It's in Tyson's Corner, uh, and so he's got the worst commute in the country. (laughs) But he's got a great job um, that he enjoys and that provides for his family. Um, we were able to find out his health issues were stress-related as well. And there's something called a vagus nerve response where the uh, muscles in your neck constrict and cause blood flow issues to the brain. And uh, that's what caused him to pass out. And so th- praise God, um, it's not something that uh, is chronic or life-threatening in in any way unless you know like it happens like while he's driving or something like that on that really long uh commute and um as i said i haven't received any more uh phone calls and i just pray that that never happens again and um i admit every once in a while my face starts twitching Again, but uh, I know where to go and who to go to when I start experiencing the stress and the anxiety, and that's to God in prayer. Um, and I'm able to calm, calm my nerves and to calm the physical manifestation. And that Disney trip that we were so disappointed uh, that we weren't able to take, uh, we were able to take it the week before last. Uh, and so we actually passed uh, Zach Ashley, Pastor Zach and his family. They went to Florida and we were coming home uh, from Florida last Saturday. And, you know, we got there. 
And this Disney cast member walked up to us and said to us, uh, so one of my daughters had a button on that said, I'm celebrating. And this Disney cast member came up and said, what are you guys celebrating today? So it's normally like you're celebrating a birthday or an anniversary or something like that. And Abigail, my oldest, said, it's always a day to celebrate when you're in Walt Disney World. Thank you, Abigail, very much for the Disney commercial. And uh, so we continued to chat with this cast member, and it turned out he was looking for a family to be the grand marshal in the parade that afternoon. Now, for those of you who are not Disney people, this is huge, okay? This is like the biggest Disney thing you can do aside from spending the night in the Cinderella Castle suite, which I will do one day before I die. Um, And so we got to be the Grand Marshal in the parade, the Festival of Fantasy Parade. We rode in this car all throughout the Magic Kingdom uh, with this Grand Marshal banner in front of us and everybody cheering and waving. And um, I just like to think, you know, God, he doesn't see time the way we see time. And so it's like the blimp theory. He looks down from the Goodyear blimp and he sees it all at once. And so You know, six months ago, a year ago, when we were praying and crying out to him and asking God, are you ever going to make things any better? That he was saying, just wait, just wait. Things are going to get so much better. And I even have this really fun thing in store for you that you're going to love. And uh, just as a funny little aside, the three-year-old, you know, we, you know, she waved. My three-year-old waved like a pro throughout this whole parade, her little hand. I'm not quite sure who she gets that from. She might get it from her former beauty queen mother. Um, But she waved through that whole parade. And then the next day when we were looking at photographs, she said, I want to do that ride again. (laughs) Yes, honey, we all want to do uh, that ride again. And so God has taught me that our afflictions uh, are temporary. And the Apostle Paul, he also learned this and talked about this and taught it in Scripture. Uh, in 2 Corinthians four sixteen through 18, he wrote, Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. And so Paul calls calls his affliction that he's experiencing light and momentary. And so you may read that and you may think, well, Paul doesn't know what I'm going through. If he were going through what I'm going through, he wouldn't call his affliction light and momentary. Well, let's read about Paul's affliction. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. he writes, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Compared to Paul, the trials that we are facing in our lives right now are are nothing. But yet he was still able to call what he was going through, all of that, light and momentary. Why? How was he able to do that? You know, he wrote this while he was in the middle of it. Not even like me. I can look back now and say all of that we met, went through, that was light and momentary and that was temporary. I trust you. I was not saying that when I was in the middle of it. You know, Charles Spurgeon, he's a, uh, he was a 19th century uh, theologian and preacher in England. And uh, I love reading his sermons. Uh, and sermon on this topic, he said, the sailor forgets the storm when he is again safely on shore. And we are all apt to think less of our sickness when we have been restored from it. But Paul was in the midst of the affliction when he called it light. And so what did Paul know? Well, Paul knew that it was temporary compared to the eternal. It says at the end of that first, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And eternal, that word eternity, we often think of it just as an extension of time. You know, time just moving forward and forward and forward and forward with no end. But in reality, we are living in eternity right now. Eternity is not something that we move into when we, when we die. We are currently as ever much in eternity now as we will ever be. And there are things which are temporary. And then there are things right now which are eternal. And the temporary is what we can see. So the temporary is, is the job loss. The temporary is the health scare. The temporary is, is our earth. There's been two volcanic eruptions this week, and the earth is changing and constantly moving, and hurricanes come in, and they change the very line of the land. Everything that we see is changing. But the eternal is not. It is constant. And it will always be. And what is eternal is God and his nature, your soul, and what he is doing in your life. The rewards that, that you are building up in heaven. Those things are eternal. And so Paul is telling us to fix our eyes not on what we can see, but on what we can't see. Don't look at the temporary. Don't look at the things that are going to fall away. But focus your eyes on him. You'll see at the beginning of this verse, if you go back, that there's a caveat. 
It says, therefore, we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. And so this renewal that we experience day by day, it doesn't just happen on its own. The renewal that Paul is talking about that we experience day by day comes when we connect with God through prayer. When we read his word. When we fellowship with other believers and we allow them to speak through, speak into our lives and speak God's word to us. That is how we are renewed day by day. And I, let me tell you, I cannot say enough for reading your Bible, the words of God, every day. It will change your life. And let me just say, I love devotional books. I love women's ministry books and, you know, books about the Bible. But don't settle for reading someone else's thoughts about the word. Read the word. Because what the Holy Spirit may have said to that person about that particular verse could be completely different for what God has for you in that verse through the Holy Spirit. And if you're not sure where to start or, or how, to, how to even go about and what kind of a plan, you can get daily Bible readings uh, sent to your phone uh, through our text messaging service um, every day. And I'm really excited because next year we're all as a church going to go through a Bible reading plan and we'll be able to read the word together and grow together. And so thankfulness brings peace when we uh, recognize and we focus on the eternal. We can have peace when we are thankful for the eternal in our lives. Thankfulness also brings peace when we recognize where our strength comes from. One of my favorite books of the Bible uh, is uh, the book of Isaiah. And my husband actually turned me on to this book. It's his favorite book of the Bible. And in Isaiah 40, 29, um, the prophet writes, He gives strength to the weary and strengthens the powerless. And so if you are weary and you feel powerless you can know that God will give you strength. And if you look, uh, if you look back, you jump back just a few verses, um, you can put these in context. You see, uh, Isaiah, at this point, he is speaking to the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, they have this long history of grumbling against God. You know, they were in Egypt, and he brought them out of bondage, and uh, then they complained that things weren't good enough, and they wanted to go back to Egypt. And again and again, they go through this cycle of things get really good, and they forget about God, and then things get really bad, and they start complaining about him. And so uh, Isaiah is addressing them and saying to him, why do you asset my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by God? So basically the Israelites are saying, you know, God, you don't see me 
and you don't hear me. You're ignoring me. And so instead of talking to God, they're talking about God. And Isaiah says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. And so God, where our strength comes from, he is everlasting. He is eternal. And not only that, he is the creator of the whole earth. And beyond that, he is the creator of the universe. So my daughter, Olivia, who is eight, is currently studying astronomy in her homeschool co-op classes. And uh, my husband also loves watching astronomy shows on the Science Channel. And uh, he he does it while he's folding the laundry. Uh, My husband loves folding laundry. God is good. (laughs) Um, He likes to say that it's his happy place. And who am I to take my husband's happy place away from him? And so he'll watch his science shows uh, while folding the laundry. And uh, I listen in on them. And I hear these really educated people talking about the universe and its vastness and how many billions and billions and quadrillions of stars there are and um, solar systems and galaxies and uh, we can't even begin to wrap our brain around what is out there and then they'll say that there's this substance that They don't know what it is, and it's in between everything, and it's in everything, and it holds it all together. And because they don't know what it is, they they call it dark matter. Well, you know, I listen to that, and they're a lot more educated than me, but I just have to think it's God holding it all together, the creator of the universe who is holding these billions of galaxies together, it is him who gives us our strength. And so Isaiah continues to say, youths may faint and grow weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You can have peace when you are thankful for the strength of God in your life. But again, there's a caveat in this verse. This promise is directed to those who trust in the Lord. That is those who ground their hope actively on the presence of God and yearn passionately For his intervention, because of God's power, they shall not faint or perish, but rather renew their strength, mount up with wings, and even run. Well, what does it mean to trust in the Lord? Well, when you you meet someone for the first time, you don't automatically trust them, do you? No. It's something that you have to build over time as you get to know them. 
And as you build relationship with them, you build trust. Well, it's the same way with God. We trust in the Lord when we get to know him. And again, how do we get to know him? We get to know him by spending time with him every day and spending time in his word. You won't know who God is unless you read about him, who he says he is. And let me tell you, I know our brains and our cultures and uh, this society, we come up with all of these crazy ideas about who God is. And a lot of times they're really wrong. And sometimes you'll even hear that in, in the church, the church at large, not this church. I won't say that about this church. You'll hear it in the church at large that, you know, these ideas about God. And, and if we're basing it just on what somebody else tells us or just what we think, we run the risk of being really wrong and of not trusting in him because we don't know him. But if you know him, you will be able to trust in the Lord and he will give you the strength and you will be able to run and you will be able to mount up on wings like eagles and you will not grow weary. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways and he will guide you on the right paths. And so... In order to not rely on your own understanding, you have to rely on other understanding. And that's his. And so you can can have peace and strength in your life when you are thankful for him and what he gives to you. Finally, thankfulness brings peace through right prayer. Paul, the Apostle Paul again, wrote in uh, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. This is a letter that he's writing to the church in Philippi. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Okay, so he's telling us twice that we are to rejoice in the Lord. And every time I read this verse, I always hear this little song in my head. So I went to this really small private middle school and high school, and we would sing this song in the round every Friday at chapel. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You guys know that one? Anyone? It's all together now. No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) So rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, so what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, the joy that Paul is calling for is a joy that is not based on your circumstances. This is not just feeling happy. This is a deep contentment that comes from the Lord based on trust in the sovereign and living God. And it is available all the time, even in difficult times. You know, Paul tells us that the peace of God which surpasses every thought, it will guard our hearts and our minds. 
And Paul knew what, what it was like to be guarded. He literally lived with a Roman centurion chained to him night and day. And so I have to imagine that when he is talking about having a, a heart that is guarded and a mind that is guarded, that this is the image that he is using, that he is seeing, that the peace of God will guard us as a soldier, guarding our hearts and our minds day and night. So we're not to worry about anything. But what are we supposed to do instead? If we're not supposed to worry, what do we do? Well, Paul makes it very clear what we're to do. We're to pray. And and we're not just to pray some little half-hearted prayer. Paul is very specific in the way that we are to pray. You know, the the word prayer is uh, generally uh, thought of as, you know, a way to present a request to God. But it also carries this idea of adoration and devotion and worship. And so when we pray to God, we should always start out with praise and adoration. And, and sometimes that can be hard to come up with on our own. Uh, one of the most life-changing, spiritually growing experiences for me was being a core group leader at Community Bible Study here in Fredericksburg. And we would get together on Tuesdays and uh, have our core leaders meeting. And the first 30 minutes of that meeting were devoted to prayer. And the beginning of that prayer time was spent reading scriptures and praying those scriptures back to God. And through that, I learned that if I didn't have the words, if I didn't know the words to use to praise him, that I could read his words back to him and praise him. And so if you're not sure what to say, go to the book of Psalm, go to the book of Proverbs and read and pray those words back to him. The second thing Paul tells us to do is to present our requests to God. And this is a big word, supplication. So, and this is normally what we do when we pray. We normally just sit down and say, God, I really want you to fix this problem in my life. And could you make me skinny and give me a million dollars? And No, we don't use, well, maybe we pray those things. Um, we pray away the Thanksgiving calories, right? <laughs> Anybody do that? Uh, so, but we, we present our request to God. And, and, and when we do this, we're, we're supposed to do it sincerely and, and earnestly. You know, when I think of sincere prayer, I think of Jesus in the garden the night before he's going to be crucified. And he is praying and crying out to the Father. And he is so sincere and he is so earnest in his prayer that he is sweating drops of blood. And, and while that is likely not to happen to us in, in sincere prayer, I encourage you to, to just cry out to the Lord 
and present your requests earnestly, knowing that he has the power to, to answer your prayers in one way or another. Finally, Paul tells us that we are to pray with thanksgiving. And so we're to pray thanking God for all of the things that he has done for us. You know, and you, you might be thinking, well, he hasn't done much for me lately. Or maybe I don't feel like he's ever done something for me. And I can't think of anything to thank him for. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you have ultimately the best thing to be thankful for. And that is being saved from your sins through the blood of Jesus and being brought into a relationship with God. And if you never have anything else to thank God for, that's enough. That's enough. But, but luckily, that's not all we have, thankfully, to, to thank him for. You know, and we can, most of us can look back through our lives and we can see the hand of God. And a lot of times it can be hard to remember those things. And that is why uh, years ago I learned this from my former pastor and I started doing it. I, I now take rocks, little stones, and when I see God do something in my life or something happens that I know can only have come through him, I write that on that stone and I have a pile on my dresser. I have a stone for when my daughter Abigail came home from the neonatal intensive care unit after 89 days of staying there. You know, I, I, I have a stone for remembering what God did and bringing us out of this past six months. I have stones for all the things that I can see God working in my life. And so when I'm in the middle of the trials and the crises and, and I think, God, where are you? I can go back. And I can look at those stones. And, you know, that's not something that, that my pastor made up. It comes right from, from the story of Joshua and the Israelites. They've been wandering in the desert for the past 40 years. And they're getting ready to cross into the promised land. They're crossing the Jordan River. And Joshua tells um, a leader from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to place a stone of memorial there in the center of the river. So that generations to come would be able to know all that God had done for them. And so as God is working in your lives and you see him answering prayers, you know, maybe you don't do stones, but maybe you keep a journal and you write them down. Or maybe you do the stones and, and you're able to look at them and, and see. And so your peace can come through giving thanks for what he has already done, and for giving thanks for what you know he is going to do in the future. Ultimately, peace comes only through Jesus. You know, there is this idea of peace with God and the peace of God. And you cannot experience the peace of God until you have made peace with God. If you look at John 
chapter 20, verses 19 uh, through 21. Uh, a little context to what's happening here. Um, Jesus has been crucified. Um, his followers have scattered. They're in fear for their lives. They're devastated. Everything that they have put their hope in has seemingly crashed down around them. And they're terrified for their future. And they wonder, did they put their trust and their hope in the wrong thing? And so a group of Jesus' closest disciples, they have locked themselves uh, in what is called the upper room. And um, John says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so when we see those words repeated again in Scripture, we know we need to pay attention to them. What is the first thing that Jesus says to them? Peace be with you. Jesus brings us peace. And it is only through Jesus's gift can we experience true peace. In, in preparing for this message, I stumbled across this beautiful photograph. Uh, it is of um, a, a set of statues that were done by a Danish sculptor named uh, Thors Walden. And they originally sat in a church in Copenhagen. And uh, it's a statue of the risen Christ with his outstretched hands. And if, if you were able to look closely, you could see that, that his hands still bear the scars. And when this was originally set up, this is a display in a museum in Rome. But when this was originally set up, in this church in Copenhagen, it was set up to, to be a picture of that upper room and of Jesus coming to his 12 closest followers. And, and in this, Judas is actually replaced by the apostle Paul. And uh, one commentator wrote upon seeing this display, he says, to see the group as here represented, makes a deep impression on the mind. Here is Christ, not on a cross, but ready for the throne, and yet scarred. The twofold message from his lips, according to John's gospel, is caught by the artist's skill. Peace be unto you, and as my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. So we have peace through his blood and apostleship through his example. I'm always amazed when I look at sculptures like this because, you know, 
uh, I craft things. I make things. And when I make things with my hands, I'm usually putting things together. But in this case, the sculptor had to take things away. And so he looked at that block of stone and he saw Christ in it. And he had to take away what wasn't Christ to reveal Christ. He had to chisel away. And so God sometimes does that same thing for us. He looks at us and he sees all the things that aren't him. And a lot of times he will use affliction and trials and tribulations to chisel away at those things. So someday we will ultimately reflect the character of Jesus. And if you have never accepted that gift, if you have never put your your faith and trust in Jesus, if you have never experienced peace with God, the good news is that is available to you today. And uh, we have a prayer team that will be down here at the ends during the next song. And if that is the next step that you want to make, I encourage you to come and speak with someone on the prayer team or, or seek one of us out because we would love to be able to, to start you on that journey. Would you bow your heads in prayer for me with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much uh, for your peace. I thank you. Um, I thank you for the, this past year and the lessons that were taught. I, I thank you that I'm able to look back now and say, truly, uh, a year later. Uh, and Lord, I know that we are all either coming into a crisis or going out of a crisis or living in the middle of a crisis. And um, uh, I, I just pray that you will bring peace to each one of us wherever that, ever we are. And that we will truly experiencing the, experience the peace of God. And I pray for those in the room that have yet to make their peace with God. Lord, move in their hearts. Answer their questions so they can experience the wonder of you. God, I thank you for this church and what you're doing and how you're moving in each one of us. And uh, I just pray that you will continue to grow and, and to pull and to chisel. In your name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.